Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Hi, everyone. For this edition of Nobody Told Me That, it's just going to be me, no guests, but I do have a few topics that I'd like to review. First things first, number two, question number two, passed in Massachusetts, which was about medical loss ratios. Um, I guess they're dental loss ratios. What that means is for every dollar, the premium spend, most of that should go towards direct patient care, right? So what they wanted to do, the the people pushing for this bill, was to require a certain threshold, I believe it was 83%, uh, would be spent on healthcare. So quick, easy rundown, that means 83 cents of every $1 spent towards the premium would actually go to patient care. So the other 17 cents, what's that about? Well, you know, we do need to market the plan, right? There's brokers involved, brokers require commissions. There's also paying the actuaries and paying for, you know, just being in business. Okay, so that's the cost of doing business to the insurance company. I think it's a fair resolution, honestly, because it's about the same as in medical. However, there are arguments be made that there are differences in the way it's calculated. I'm going to link a policy paper that I was reading about, and I thought think it really outlined the pros and cons of this bill really well. So the bill did pass, which means that for any plans that are fully funded, the dental loss ratio will go into effect. And I, I believe it's not, tw- well, it might be 2023. What that means, you're going to have insurance companies who offer fully funded plans in Massachusetts are going to really have to take a look at how they're doing business and make sure that they can structure their premiums and their plans so that they're still profitable. Now, if you are dealing with a self-funded plan in Massachusetts, you should know that this does not apply. What does this mean for the insurance coordinator doing his or her job every day? Not much, because this is going to come into play when looking at the profitability of the insurance companies, you know, when you look at profit and loss reports and that sort of thing. However, for the daily ins and outs of the insurance business, we're really not going to be affected by this you know, we're never going to have to write a letter about it. We're never going to have to, you know, file with the insurance commissioner on it. When the reporting is done, then I'm pretty sure there will be lawyers waiting to do it. The dental society will be waiting to evaluate all of these reports. Those reports are now going to be required of the dental plans so that their costs can be examined. Again, only for the fully funded plans. Fully funded plans in all the states are covered by any state law. Self-funded plans are subject to the federal law, and so they are exempt from state law. 
Let me just give you another example. If you have a state that has passed a non-coverage services law, that law only applies to fully funded plans because that's the only type of plan they have jurisdiction on. Now, the self-funded plans, uh, again, are federal. So if you're in a state with a non-coverage services law, about half of the plans are going to be exempt from that particular law. So we have to be careful and we have to know which plans are fully funded and which plans are self-funded. My quick and easy way of seeing if it's fully funded or self-funded is looking at the cards. Self-funded plans means that the benefits are administered by the actual carrier. So you'll see things like benefits administered by, plan administered by, you'll see things like that. My other tip off for you is that it's typically a very large employer that's able to self-fund the premiums. That means they have enough money to pay the pot of benefits out of. So you're thinking of like Amazon and Boeing and Google and Walmart. They can definitely self-fund because they have enough funds to pay out the benefits. They just need a company to do that for them. And that's the administering part. So that's where self-funded comes into play. Fully funded, basically the insurance company knows that the small business won't be able to fund themselves. And so they offer to float the cash for benefits. And then they make up the difference as far as profitability goes. They make up the difference in the premium. So they, they readjust the premiums. Okay. So back to question number two. I've been getting a lot of questions on this. You know, everybody wants to know what does the industry think of this and what do we think is going to happen down the road? Well, one concern that I have is that with this being passed, because now there is an additional regulatory burden on the insurance companies, I'm afraid that this is going to push fully funded plans in Massachusetts out of the state. Meaning these plans are going to say, oh man, it just got really expensive to do business in Massachusetts. So you know what? Let's just exit out. I mean, Maine's over here, Vermont's over here, New Hampshire's over here. Let's just find another state that is friendlier to us. Now, as this legislation starts to spread across the country, because it will, and I'll get into that in a second, you're going to have insurance companies really taking a look at their market and seeing if it's profitable to stay in that market. That means my fear really centers around, will the market actually become less competitive? Meaning if plans exit because the regulatory burden is there and it's mostly self-funded plans that are in the state or fully funded plans that, you know, have figured out a way to make it work, but mostly fully funded plans are going to say, you know, eh, let's get out now. When you have no competition, that actually hurts the consumer. And of course, the consumer in this situation is the employer making the decision. When that happens, you are going to have a restriction on the market, meaning that there's just not going to be the diversity of plans that are being offered. And that's not good for our patients. It's not good for the dentists either. So I'm hoping that that doesn't happen, but that typically is a side effect when regulations take hold in any industry, there will always be the shakeout of the companies that just can't make it work. We'll see how that goes. And I definitely will be keeping an eye on that. We really won't see the impact of that until 2024, end of 23, beginning of 24. And as always, I'm going to keep my, keep my finger on the pulse of that. Now, I mentioned earlier that would it spread to the other 
States, of course. So what happens is dental societies have already prepared all of the work for this. I mean, Massachusetts actually took this to the legislature, I believe, twice, and it was uh, not passed in the legislature, and that's why they went straight to the ballot. That's what makes it so unusual. The legislative work is done, so if they take this proposal and go to their own state legislatures, take a state that doesn't have medical loss ratio. I'm in Virginia. They don't have that requirement. All they need to do is pick up the Massachusetts one, scratch out Massachusetts, add in Virginia, and they've got the template. And that's, I mean, this is a smart thing to do, right? You know, why recreate the wheel? Just take this template and go with it. So that's probably going to happen. So next year, I would expect a lot more dental societies and states to start supporting MLR for dental carriers. That will be very interesting to see because What that means is that the carriers will now have to invest in even more lobbying money to see if they can get it defeated in their own state legislatures. And it'll depend on the political makeup of the legislature, too. I mean, it will. I'm not going to get into politics or or anything like that. But, you know, if, if you've got someone in there that does not believe in it, it could make it very difficult to pass. There's always going to be supporters of the bill. And there's always going to be ardent not supporters of the bill. And so that's always an interesting dynamic to watch. I mean, it was very interesting to watch the Massachusetts bill kind of go up. It got defeated, go back up. It got defeated. And then when it showed up on the ballot, you know, a couple of us were like, wait, really? You can do that? We didn't even know that that, that was you know possible. So it kind of made it a little bit of inter- entertaining. And you know what I always say in my classes you have to make insurance fun. I mean, you just have to. You have to laugh at it or it's going to drive you crazy. Okay. Question number two did pass and very nicely by a very nice margin too. I mean, uh, State Dental Society and the dentists who let spearheaded it, they have to be happy. So congratulations to them. And definitely we'll be watching the fallout if there is any fallout or the improvements of that situation. All right. Topic number two has to do with the procedure code 4355, debridement. We just had the virtual insurance party this last Friday, and that was really fun. And in the VIP, I call it the VIP, we had a question about the 4355 change. 2023, there's a change to the code. I'll go over that in a second. We had a pretty good discussion about it. So side note, uh, I have the virtual insurance party probably two to three times a year, and I usually announce it in my newsletter and also on my social media. Typically, we only let about 100 people register, and then of that, maybe 50 or 60% show up, which is expected and actually a pretty decent percentage. Uh, What we do is we have a couple breakout rooms in the virtual session. Everybody has to have their camera on. That's a requirement because, you know, I don't want people lurking in the background, right? It's a party. You got to be on camera. And we have different topics in the different breakout rooms. So it's always a lot of fun. So keep an eye out for that if that's something that you think you'd like to attend. Yes, it's all about insurance, but you know what? If this makes you kind of wrinkle your nose, then it's not for you. But if you were like, ooh, insurance party, what? Then you know what I'm talking about. So keep an eye out for it. Okay, so 4355. There is a change in the code, and in 2023, it's going to look a little bit different. So right now, the definition is to enable a comprehensive oral evaluation. So let me actually just read you the actual code. Full mouth debridement, D4355, 
Full mouth debridement to enable a comprehensive oral evaluation and diagnosis on a subsequent visit. Okay, if you notice comprehensive oral evaluation, it's kind of a flag because what immediately was thought of was, well, wait a second, what about if the patient comes in and has like, they actually end up having gum disease, you know, perio disease, the comprehensive eval is not really appropriate because we've got this D0180 periodontal evaluation sitting over here. That actually would probably be the most, it, it would be the most appropriate code. But as it stands now, the code says, it basically it's saying you have to, it's charging for a comprehensive oral evaluations. I mean, it really does look like it's pointing to D0150. So starting in January, it is now going to read full mouth debridement to enable a comprehensive periodontal evaluation and diagnosis on a subsequent visit. Okay. So what that means is that you could do the 4355, you could do the debridement. And there are many cases where the debridement actually doesn't result in a, in a diagnosis of periodontal disease that requires anything, scaling, root planning, osteosurgery, anything like that. There are many times when it's just a real, just bunch of junk on the teeth and we got rid of it and let the gums, you know, cool off and then came back and turns out the bone loss wasn't that bad, but they are, their gums were really irritated. And maybe the, the doctor wants to just be a little bit more aggressive, maybe sees them for a prophylaxis every three months or, or two months even to get it healthy so that they can avoid scaling and root planing. That might be something that is decided. Now, I'm not a clinician. I'm not even going to pretend to be a clinician. However, I have talked to many clinicians who think that full mouth debridement is going to go directly into perio, but I've also talked to a bunch that know that it doesn't necessarily have to. It is not up to me, however, and it's not up to the code book, and it's certainly not up to dental insurance companies. It's really up to the clinician to diagnose this. Let's go over the flow of the 4355 used in your office. This was the big issue is because there, there were so many questions of which eval and, and, and how long and all of that. So let's, let's take it step by step. Okay, so for the first appointment, the patient comes in. Typically, they have scheduled a cleaning and evaluation. And if you're an office that does all of that on one day, then a diagnosis of a debridement is going to really upset that whole apple cart because now a hygienist is doing something totally different. The patient thinks they were getting a cleaning and they weren't. And so there's a lot of uh, verbal skills that go along with that. That first appointment though, you were probably scheduled to do a comprehensive evaluation. Well, because you couldn't, because the definition really, it means that the teeth were just, there's just too much there. There's too much gunk. I like to call it gunk. Your x-rays, you might take x-rays, but you know, there's just, there's going to be a lot on the x-rays. You can't even get to the perioprobing. And I've seen that definitely. It's, it's very disturbing to look at. So basically the provider is going to take one look at this and say, there's no way I can do a proper diagnosis and evaluation. I have to just get rid of all the gunk that's on here and then bring them back. 
What that means is that the dentist just did an evaluation, though. It's just not the comprehensive evaluation. Your dentist just did a limited evaluation. They were problem-focused, and that problem is, I need to be able to diagnose. I can't do that right now, so let's do this procedure. So limited evaluation is appropriate for that very first appointment, along with billing the 4355. When it comes to how long and all of that, I'm not a clinician. So this is up to your doctor, your hygienist to decide when they want to bring that patient back for the actual evaluation, the full evaluation. Now, that typically I've heard anywhere from three weeks to five weeks. I've heard eight weeks. I think that's eight weeks might be clinically appropriate, but from an administrative point of view, that's a hard sell because the patient really wanted their teeth cleaned and, and we're ready to, to get going with it. And then I'm going to tell them, hey, two months later. So it's really up to the dentist on this. I've heard eight weeks and it just seems very excessive. Typically it's a month or under is what I hear and see. But again, it is up to your dentist's clinical judgment to Uh, make that decision. Not mine, not yours, not the carrier's. It's all up to the clinician. When that patient comes back, you'll likely take your x-rays, you'll likely do your perioprobing because now you're, you're in it to do a comprehensive evaluation. So it could be a comprehensive evaluation, D0150. However, if there's signs, symptoms, indications, periodontal disease, what you're providing is a D0150. 180, which is the periodontal evaluation, not periodic, periodontal evaluation. That is a whole different procedure code from the 150. It still counts with the, you know, the eval codes, but it's different. For example, let me just read it to you. Comprehensive periodontal evaluation, new or established patient. This procedure is indicated for patients showing signs and symptoms of periodontal disease and for patients with risk factors such as smoking or diabetes. It includes evaluation of periodontal conditions, probing, charting, eval for oral cancer, evaluation and recording of patients' dental and medical history, and general health assessment. It may include the evaluation and recording of dental caries, missing or uninterrupted teeth, restorations, and occlusal relationships. So, My rule of thumb here is that D0150 is your comprehensive evaluation. That's your typical new patient evaluation. That's an examination of your hard and soft tissue. Hard tissue is the teeth. Soft tissue is all the the gums, lips, and, and palate, all of that. So the 180 is the same thing. However, if there are signs and symptoms of periodontal disease and the patient has risk factors that contribute to periodontal disease, what you're really doing is a 180. So then the question always becomes, well, then I'm probably doing a lot of 180s, not 150s. Am I doing it wrong? I don't know if you're doing it wrong, but you need to just go back and look at it. A lot of those probably could have been reclassified as 180, especially if you diagnose scaling and root planing out of that appointment. Now, it doesn't mean you go back and change everything. You know, going forward, just keep in mind what the definitions are. It's important to talk to your doctor about this so they understand as well. I always get this question. What about evals? The patient only gets two per year. The patient only gets one every six months. And if we do this, it's not even going to get paid at 180. It'll get paid at, you know, a lower rate. They'll, they'll map it down to a 120. Okay. All of those questions had to do with the way a patient's benefits are administered. That has nothing to do with clinically what should be done. 
a patient who breaks his teeth often is going to come in for an evaluation all the time, right? A limited evaluation. You could conceivably do evaluations on one patient like every month because something else is going wrong. It doesn't mean, and let me back up. If the patient is only allowed two per year, then that means that, you know, there's going to be 10 evaluations that aren't covered. Does that mean you don't charge for 10 evaluations? No, absolutely not. What it means is that the patient's employer, the patient's benefit plan has elected to not cover more than two per year. When I talk to a patient and I'm telling them that the benefits aren't there, I always use terms like your employer has decided to only reimburse for two. Your carrier has decided to only reimburse for two. I'm not saying things like, you know, we can only do two per year. That's not true. The carrier has just decided, as according to the plan that the employer picked, that two per year is what's available. You could do as many evals as you'd like. I understand the sentiment behind the question because what you're anticipating is the patient getting angry at you. I know. I get it. However, insurance is it's just insurance. It's just helpful at times. It's not meant to cover everything. Although it's going to take a little bit longer to get our patients trained on that, we as admin, we have to be better than that. We have to make sure to anticipate that conversation with our patients and to make sure that they understand. The benefits are there to help, but not to cover all of it. And so they could also go to their employer and ask them to pick a better benefit plan. And of course, some of you are in the, in the habit of helping employers select good benefit plans. You could also use this as a reason to take a look at your own membership plan rather than having an insurance plan. These are all bigger conversations that we could branch out into another day. Let's go back to 4355. Let's say the patient's in full comprehensive evaluation. It could be comprehensive, could be periodontal, comprehensive periodontal evaluation. So it doesn't have to be a 180 is all I'm saying with this too, is that 180 may not be appropriate if the patient's gums have tightened back up and everything's cool. The patient may not have any probing, and I'm sorry, any bone loss upon probing. So it's possible to do a D0150. So you do have those two options there. Now, do you then send the person into scaling and root planning automatically? Maybe you skip the profi and go straight to scaling and root planning. Again, I cannot make that decision for you. I know an awful lot of offices that will schedule the comprehensive evaluation and the cleaning. This is after a 4355 is done. They will schedule the comprehensive evaluation and the cleaning together. Then when the patient is there, the doctor will make the diagnosis of gum disease, perio, and they will recommend scaling and root planning. Okay, well, the patient's there for a cleaning. So now you're telling me, again, they're not going to get their cleaning. And now we're going to go into uh, scaling and root planning. While the patient's there, though, why can't we just do a, a cleaning? Why can't we just do a 1110? And that's a natural question. I get it. And that is a question your patients are going to ask you. And that's why I bring it up, because I want to make sure that you're prepared for this. A prophylaxis. So it's a removal of plaque, calculus, and stains from two structures and implants. It's intended to control local irritational factors local irritational factors, not generalized. See, that's important. Generalized means it's throughout the whole mouth. Local irritational factors means, you know, maybe you got one tooth over here that's bothering you, one tooth over here, you know, maybe gums are itchy over here. 
it's not generalized perio. So you could do it, but you'd have to be able to defend it in a court is all I'm saying. If you feel that, you know, hey, this is fine, we can do a perio and then bring them back in for scaling and root planning. I mean, you could do that. And lots of benefit plans actually will pay for the pro fee and then they will reimburse for scaling and root planning. You know, benefit wise, if that's really driving you, then you'll be all right with that. But code wise, I don't know if that's appropriate. So that's something that I I would urge you to both to have you, your hygienist and your dentist, take a look at the actual code and, and see what your interpretation is on that. So 4355, simple little code, not so simple uh, interpretation of the code. And it's worth a conversation with your hygiene team to see, you know, is this something that can be worked into the flow? What are the steps? What are the anticipated questions that patients are going to have? And, and this is something that you're going to need to talk to talk about before it becomes an issue. One interesting thing that came up on the VIP is that there were a lot of offices that just don't use it. You know, I got an email later from a person who needed clarification and she said, you know, we don't actually use that in our office because it's just been too difficult to get reimbursed, which makes me sad, but they probably had a good reason for it. They probably got really tired of talking to patients about it, but that doesn't mean that you should just throw out a perfectly good code. So when you're tempted to not use a code just because it's too difficult, I'm going to urge you to take a look at it and say, you know, what are the objections that come with it? And let's talk about the verbiage so that everybody's ready for it. Yeah, it's difficult, but not doing a 4355 when it's indicated clinically. I mean, I just think that we need to be doing the right thing here and not letting the benefit plans drive our decisions. Another good example of this is 2950, your crown buildup. I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years that they just don't bill for crown buildup because it's too difficult to get paid. Do some calculations in your office. How many crown buildups did you do? There are offices out there that routinely write off that amount because it's just too difficult. I mean, easily, easily busy office, easily five figures. A little bit of training, a little bit of verbiage, a little bit of backbone too, Uh, when talking to patients and a little bit of good clinical templates that could have helped and recovered, you know, five figures. It's something that I, I worry about in our industry is that because we have so many new people and coding is difficult to somebody who just, you know, walked into the office that it's, it's just easy for a dentist, especially when it's straight out of school that just really isn't sure what they're doing instead of actually billing for what they should be billing. They're going to bill, I guess, I don't want to call it lazy billing because it's really not. They really just don't know. It's going to be convenient billing, I guess, convenient for the dentist and the front office staff. Uh, No appeals necessary is really where we're going with that. And I remember talking to one doctor who said to me, you know, I've had the same insurance coordinator for like five years. And, you know, I've never signed off on an appeal. I've never seen an appeal. And I kind of just stopped and I said, well, do you do crowns and crown buildups? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you do implants? Yeah. What about scaling and root planning? Yeah, I do all of that, she said. I urged her to go back and take a look at the reports and just, you know, pick a couple crowns from last year, a couple scaling and root plannings from last year, and just go in there and look and see what's on the ledger. 
I got an email back from her. This is, oh my gosh, this is a couple years ago. Got an email back from her a little bit later. And she had to remind me who she was because I I really did not remember the conversation. And she she said, I went back and looked. and, And the reason I'm not doing any appeals is because she's writing everything off. To her credit, this doctor is paying attention to the numbers. That started her journey into the numbers side of dentistry. And I think she's doing a good job now. She needed a wake-up call. You know, she really didn't even know that you could appeal uh, benefit decisions from the carrier. Imagine. So some of these stories that I have are, are just, I mean, they'd knock your socks off. One that I, I have to share with you is I was giving a course And there was a dentist who was about five or six years out of school and she was sitting in the course and I, I was going, I mean, this is a basic coding class, right? So I was going over 120, periodic oral evaluation. I was going over 120 and I was saying, you know, this is when you would use it and this is when you would use limited and, you know, doing the whole, you know, very foundational evaluation conversation. She came up to me afterwards and she said, I've never built for a periodic evaluation. I always just build for, you know, cleaning and x-rays when the patient came back in every six months. She looked, honestly, she looked green, right? Like, because I think she was like, oh my gosh, all that lost money. And she said, I can't believe it. I've never billed for that. I didn't know that you could bill for that. And nobody told me that, right? Uh, I've heard lots of conversations very similar to that exact conversation her and I had. And I remember we sat and talked for a little bit and I gave her a couple more pointers because, you know, she was fresh out of school and not fresh out of school. She was five years out of school, but you know, you're still, you're still learning five years. You're still, you're still in that stage where, where things are going to surprise you and you just didn't see it coming. I mean, that always happens. Let's wrap up on this. So we, we went over question number two, that's the hot topic, right? And then 4355 code change. For 2023, um, I'd also like to remind you that January 10th is my 2023 coding update where I'll go over all of the codes and the revisions, deletions, and all of that so that you know what's coming up. I've also got a couple thoughts on Medicare Advantage plans. Everybody is hitting up my inbox for Medicare Advantage. I'm trying to study and learn as fast as you all are. I've got my arms around it, but I don't know if I'm quite to the point where I would say, Yes, with certainty. Let's be honest. I haven't said yes with certainty to many things in insurance because things are changing all of the time. And, you know, I was joking around with a friend of mine that, that gives leadership courses. And I thought, I said to her, I said, I wish, wish I'd chosen leadership because it doesn't change that much with codes. It changes all the time. It kind of stinks. I have to stay up on it. But uh, I do love what I do. And, and I know many of you also love this part of dentistry as well. And I know they talk about us, but it's okay. We, we understand each other. Okay, so January 10th, I'll link in the show notes how to register for that webinar. If you're not already registered, it is complimentary, uh, hosted by Vine Dental. And the other event that I want to talk to you about is the insurance extravaganza, the fourth annual insurance extravaganza that Christine Taxon and Links to success give. And they are, you know, this is, this is a pretty, pretty fun event. The insurance extravaganza, it's in Orlando. It is going to be two days of dental and medical coding. I know you're like, what? And some of you are like, oh my gosh. (laughs) There was some of you were like, oh my gosh. (laughs) 
That's the kind of person that's going to go February 3rd through 4th. Okay, so right now registration's open and I know the hotel block keeps getting full and they keep having to extend it and extend it. So I, I'm. it sounds to me like registration's ticking along. We're going to go over medical and dental billing. We're going to go over revenue. Okay, so we're going to go over revenue cycle management. We're going to go over sleep apnea, pedo sleep apnea, pedo medical billing. And then we also have specialty medical billing, and we're going to have some panels also from some of the experts in dentistry and and talking about network leasing. It's just a lot. We have a lot here. And for those who came to previous insurance extravaganzas, they know that they went home with just a ton of valuable to-dos. It's Orlando in February, not in July. (laughs) So that's a good thing. I hope that you join us. I will put also a link in the show notes for that. And if you want to use the code Teresa, I now put that in the show notes. I believe it's a hundred dollars courtesy that they're giving you. So um, hopefully that helps out. I do know there's a couple of you that are coming as teams, which is fantastic. I can't wait to see you all again. Mark your calendars, February 3rd through 4th in Orlando and January 10th for the 2023 coding update. And my website has my current list of events for 2023 and some in 2024. Can you believe it? Booking in 2024 already. Oh gosh, the time sure does fly by. If you've listened this long, then I know that you are a very dedicated listener to the podcast. And I just wanted to explain the reason why I took such a long hiatus in the beginning of the year. 2022 was really, it's not been a great year for me and my family. We've had a loss, very dear loss, actually. Um, I almost lost another dear family member in, in January, February. I had uh, COVID. My, um, Husband and son had COVID in January, February. It was a rough start to the year. I had to cancel a bunch of events. It was terrible. And in February, my mother was diagnosed with dementia. And it's been okay. So I know many of you are immediately are going to you know, think, oh my gosh, it's been okay. We have moved my parents in with us uh, for the most part. I mean, they're still going back and forth to their house. We're getting it ready to sell. But uh, having my mom here at the house, um, she's not very, she's not, too bad right now. She's actually a very happy person, still recognizes us. I'm having a great time having her here, but it does certainly take up a lot of time and it certainly puts things in priority. So for some of you that know me very well, you all will know that I really did not get along with my mother very well growing up. And and I'm telling you all that now for clarity, because what it is now is that we are actually getting along really well, having a great time. And I'm not going to miss this, right? So I'm, I'm really spending the time with her every minute that I can, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, my grandmother had dementia and passed away. Um, and I remember at the end, it was not good. So I, I want to make sure that I have every moment that I can. So I apologize for missing so many episodes. I know I left you without episodes for months, and I apologize for that. 
I think everything's kind of going back on track. I, I think I've finally got my arms wrapped around some stuff. Although my goodness, I feel like I'm constantly answering emails from two days ago. It's, uh, it's something else, but, uh, I'm getting, I'm getting a handle on it. But for those of you who stuck around this long into the episode, I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, I hear from so many of you that this has been very helpful. That really just puts a huge, huge smile on my face. This actually was the 100th episode, believe it or not. And I know 100 is like a drop in the bucket for some of the other podcasts out there that have been doing a ton. But, uh, you know, it took a little bit for me to get to it. I hope that every one of them has been very helpful for you. And I will see you on the next episode. Until then, my gratitude for spending your time with me. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.